Welcome to Timothy Eden Memorial Church, a place for life. Connect, participate, celebrate. So you may have ascertained by now it might be the voice or maybe my height or I don't know. There's probably something that has given away the fact that I am not Reverend Dr. Stephen Ferris <laughs> this morning, and I'm very sorry. I am, you know, as disappointed as you are, uh, I am equally disappointed. I was looking forward to being here today to hear him preach, and uh, to be honest, I won't be offended if you actually, like, sneak out the side door now that you know it's me, and I'll just kind of look over this way uh, while you make your way out. But uh, no, in all seriousness, our prayers are, are with uh, Dr. Ferris today as he recovers at home from a recent um, medical procedure. And we wish him a, a very speedy recovery and, and all of the best. Um, and hopefully he'll be with us again next year. We are continuing, though, uh, with our Festival of the Word uh, preacher summer preacher series and the next two Sundays are very exciting because uh, the the preachers we have for the next two Sunday are preachers we had asked to come last year and then with uh, the pandemic they ended up only uh, well they ended up preaching to a camera and we watched them on screen and and we really wanted to have them come back and, and be here in person so that you could meet them and they could have the experience of meeting you and, and preaching here in person. So next Sunday, we welcome back uh, Reverend Lawrence Niarco, who is uh, a wonderful preacher, a great friend, and uh, you're going to love him and his family will be here with him. And the Sunday after that, Reverend Dr. Greg Braun will be here as well with his family, and you'll remember him from last year. And and we're so glad that he can come back and be here in person. The Sunday after that is someone who is brand new to TEMC, Reverend Catherine Oxenford Grant, but I know that you will love her uh, as much as I do. So I hope that uh, you'll uh, be here for the next three Sundays for those preachers. And then, of course, uh, Reverend Dr. Paul Scott Wilson, who is with us on Labor Day uh, Sunday, as is our tradition. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you are always with us. You are with us in good times and bad times. That you are with us when we are not feeling well, when we are under the weather, and that you restore our health. We thank you and we praise you and pray that as we are here today and as we listen to your word and reflect on your word, that you would speak to our hearts and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. One sunny morning about a week and a half ago, I was, I was in my car and I was making my way to visit my dad, uh, blissfully uh, driving along, listening to the radio station. Now, there's a radio station that always plays my favorite 80s music, and I, and I love listening to it. It takes me back to my youth and, and uh, my teenage years. And so as I was listening to, to the radio, something came on the radio 
that shook me to my core. I almost, I almost veered off the road. My mouth fell open. My eyes went wide, and I was just in shock. It was July 29th, and I was hearing my first back-to-school advertisement on the radio. In July. It feels like it's way too soon to be thinking about back to school and, and the summer coming to an end, right? But the fact is, the CNE starts in 11 days. And you know what that means. As soon as the CNE starts in Toronto, that's, that's the beginning of the end. School, school will be back in session shortly afterwards once uh, the CNE starts. The late summer, this season always has a certain feel to it. And it often takes me back to my childhood, back to that sort of back-to-school feeling. Many of you probably remember, year after year, you, you, you went through this whole back-to-school ritual in the fall so many years ago. I think of grade five. <laughs> grade five, we had a teacher that he had a long last name, so we just called him Mr. D. And... Uh, and Mr. D would periodically leave the classroom and after assigning an exercise of some sort for us to work on, and he would leave and he would say, you know what, I'll, I'll be back in a few minutes. You just keep quietly working at your desks. Now some of the kids, mostly the boys, of course, some of the kids couldn't resist the temptation then to to instead of doing the assignment, to try and figure out exactly when Mr. D was coming back. And they'd take turns kind of going to the door and peeking out into the hallway to see if he was coming so that, so that, he could, uh, so that they could warn the other kids that Mr. D was on his way. Now why this obsession with the timing of his return? Because in his absence, they were not doing the assignment. They were throwing chalkboard erasers around the room. <laughs> and I know most of you will remember the days when there were chalkboards in classrooms and there were chalkboard erasers that went with them. Remember those. So they would be throwing these around the room instead of doing their assignment and they didn't want to get caught. And they didn't want to get caught because Mr. D had a notoriously hot temper. And his wrath was an awesome sight to behold, honestly. <laughs> I, think of, I think of the teachers now. He, he, nobody would get away with what he would do. There were usually wood chips flying from broken yardsticks and, 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 and yelling. And, and one time he threw a boy against a wall. And another time he threw a chair at a girl. It was... It was really something that, you know, the good old days, right? <laughs> the good old days. Well, all of the, the mischief, the boys' mischief was going on, though, and the boys were trying to figure out when Mr. D was going to return. The girl who sat behind me, Leslie, never worried about when Mr. D might reappear because Leslie would be at her desk the whole time quietly doing her work. Whenever Mr. D returned, 
he would find Leslie doing what he had assigned to us. Now, Leslie was so good. I, I always thought Leslie was an angel. She was pretty. She was quiet. So you can imagine my distress one day when I dropped my pencil on the floor, and while I was retrieving it, I found that the whole underside of her desk was covered with boogers. Leslie wasn't an angel afterwards, after all. Now, the purpose of sharing this uh, story, a story that probably many of you can relate to from your own school days, is to illustrate the point in this morning's gospel reading. Leslie was always disciplined and diligent in doing the work that our teacher had set before us. She didn't allow herself to be distracted by what the rest of the class was doing, and she never grew tired of doing what she knew was the right thing to do. She knew when was the time to work and when was the time to relax or play. So whenever Mr. D returned, Leslie was engaged in her work. And she wouldn't stress out. There was no worry for her. She didn't uh, worry about when the teacher would return like the boys did. She just kept her mind focused on the task that the teacher had assigned. In our lives as Christians, our teacher from Nazareth has given us an assignment as well. And while he is not physically present with us, we are to live our lives as his body, as ones who are children of God. In that way, he is always present to us. We are called to love God and others. We are called to follow Christ's commands, to seek the kingdom of God, to go into the world and make disciples, to study God's word and to pray without ceasing. If we are faithfully engaged in such work for the sake of God's realm, then we need not stress or worry about those times when the presence of Jesus confronts us, when Jesus comes before us in the stranger or the outcast. And we, may, we need not fear when God may call us into his presence. We will be ready. Our hearts will be turned to God and we will have been faithfully doing the work of love that our teacher has assigned to us. In the reading from the Gospel of Luke, Jesus tells a parable about how wise and faithful servants will conduct themselves while waiting for the return of their employer who has left them in charge of his household while he went away to attend a wedding banquet. Now you have to really trust someone to go away and leave them in charge of your home, right? You'd want to leave someone who, who will re be respectful, who knows your mind, who will take care of things the way you yourself would take care of things if you were present. Just like the boys in my grade five class, though, maybe there was the temptation for some of the servants to goof off when the homeowner wasn't there to watch them. But the owner expects 
that these are responsible, trustworthy people, more like Leslie, and that they won't slack off, or he never would have left them in charge. So off he goes, coming home maybe in the middle of the night. It says the second watch or the third watch, so that might be the, the middle of the night, maybe even at dawn. Now, even now, at that time, even those who are very responsible and wouldn't think of slacking off are still human and, and could easily grow weary as the hour grew later and later while they had no idea really when he might return. They might begin to think that he wasn't going to return that night at all and decide that, oh, it's okay if I just take a little rest. He'll never know, right? unless he comes home at that time. How happy the homeowner will be, Jesus tells them, if he returns and finds the servants fulfilling the responsibilities that he left with them. And Jesus tells the disciple that this is what is expected of them, that they would never grow weary in carrying out the task that God has assigned to them, that they would trust in him, and that when God comes to them in glory, he will find them quietly, diligently, humbly carrying out the responsibilities that he has given to them. And he'll be pleased. In the time of the early church, around the time when the Gospel of Luke was written, Christians believed that at any moment, Christ Jesus, God incarnate, the owner of this household we call earth, would return to vindicate them and to finally rule the world forever. The longer they waited, though, and he didn't return, the more the apostles and gospel writers had to encourage people to, to stay alert, to be faithful, to not lose hope. Christ promised he would return. Christ promised that they would be rewarded for their faithfulness. And now in this text, we hear Jesus say that nobody knows the day or the hour. According to Jesus' words, it might happen after their lives are over. After our lives are over. But it will happen in God's perfect timing. And those who have been faithful throughout their lives will find it to have been worth the wait. Now, while few people nowadays hold to hold to the whole rap, at least in our context, a few people hold to the whole rapture, apocalyptic, end-of-days scenario that's made popular by Hollywood movies. The Christian church has always affirmed that Christ said he will return in glory one day, and we don't know when that will be, but it will be at the perfect time. And the Christian church still affirms that to this day. I just, I think that many of us just don't think it'll look like the Hollywood movies that we have in our minds. But since 2,000 years have passed, since Jesus said he would return, 
it's not something that many of us have at the forefront of our minds, right? We're living our day-to-day lives. We don't have that in our minds because so much time has passed, but it's still a promise that we have to cling to. And so it's easy for us to become more like irresponsible servants who grow weary of waiting and decide to just relax and take it easy. There are so many things that can distract us from attending to our relationship with God, from attending to our spiritual lives, our spiritual health, if we are not disciplined, if we don't make the effort to remain spiritually awake with all of the responsibilities and the activities that consume our lives, with all of the entertainment options at our fingertips around the clock, it is so easy for spiritual discipline to fall right off of our daily schedule, for us to spend almost no time in our day considering our spiritual life, and for us to be consumed and overwhelmed with meeting our own needs rather than how we might serve the needs of others in Christ's name. And if we're not careful, over time we easily slide into a spiritual slumber with no awareness at all of the condition of our spiritual health. And then when we lose sight of the responsibility and then we lose sight of the responsibilities that Jesus has given to us while he's not physically here amongst us. But if Christ did return now, because now is as good a time as any, right? If he did return now, what would he find us doing with our lives? And by now, I mean at this point in our lives in general. I don't mean right now while we're here in church, which would be the perfect time, right, for him to to return. It would be great (laughs) while we're here in church. No, but in our day-to-day lives, would he find us glorifying him? Or would we wake up with a start and not know where we stand in God's kingdom? And barely recognize the one who is standing before us. Even Christians who dismiss altogether the idea of Christ returning will affirm that God is always with us. So then if we were conscious 24-7 that Jesus is here with us right now, how would we conduct our lives? How would we treat others and speak to others if Jesus was sitting right beside us? What would we be watching on TV? How would we be spending our time? The truth is, Christ comes to us in ways all the time that are perceived by our hearts rather than our eyes. If our hearts are tuned to sense his presence. Verse 37 from the passage that we read says this, Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake 
when he comes. And then it says this. It says, he, the master, will dress himself for service. Dress himself for service and have them recline at table. And he will come and serve them. That is remarkable. This, now, this isn't a text that is saying that, that the unfaithful servants will be punished. There, there are passages like that in the Bible, but this isn't one of them. This is a text that tells us the reward of staying alert, of being faithful, of not growing weary in carrying out the work that God has given to us. Servants who are prepared and awake when the Lord comes to them, Jesus says, not only are blessed by him, but are treated to a most extraordinary reward. The owner serves them at table. The master becomes the servant of the servants and shows his gratitude by, by sitting them down at his table and laying a feast before them. Faithfulness to God is itself the greatest reward in life. If the Lord comes in the second or the third watch, the passage says, when everyone else has grown tired and given up and gone to bed, and he finds that some have been diligent, have kept awake, have not grown tired of waiting on him, have trusted that he will return even when others have given up hope. Blessed are those servants. Those are the ones who have prepared their hearts and their minds and their souls to receive the kingdom promised in verse 32, the kingdom that God is pleased to give to his children. Just as there are always natural consequences to disobeying God's laws, there are natural rewards to following them. If pleasing God is in any way important to you, then following Jesus' teaching in our lives is its own reward in many ways. You know it, when, when you truly love someone, right? When you love someone with all your heart, then pleasing them is something you enjoy doing. You, you get a reward out of seeing their joy. Even, even when we don't get anything out of it ourselves, seeing their pleasure gives us a sense of fulfillment. When we take God seriously, and do those things that he says we should do, and avoid those things that he warns us are not good for us, it pleases God. It pleases God. There's a song, a beautiful song. I'm sure many of you know it. And it was written at the height of the U.S. civil rights struggle in the 1960s. Curtis Mayfield, the, the lead singer of the Impressions, wrote his most memorable song, People Get Ready, about the inevitability of God's kingdom coming 
in the form of human rights, freedom, and dignity for all men and women, regardless of the color of their skin. You probably have the words of the chorus in your head already. People get ready. There's a train a-coming. You don't need no baggage. You just get on board. All you need is faith to hear the diesels humming. You don't need no ticket. You just thank the Lord. In that turbulent decade, Curtis Mayfield was calling people to prepare for the approaching kingdom of God. The train was a-coming, but those who were asleep would miss it. Those who were ready would just get on board. The chaos of the 1960s left the U.S. and many other countries in a state of confusion. And I've heard my, my own parents and others speak of the many reasons that there were to feel very afraid during those years. All of the reasons that there were to feel like giving up, feel like losing hope, losing faith, losing patience. But Mayfield like many others, understood that something great was just over the horizon for those who had faith to believe it. He could hear it like the distant humming of a diesel engine when you don't yet see the train, but you know it's coming. You don't need no baggage. All you need is faith. You don't need no ticket. You just get on board. People get ready. This is the very message that Jesus is giving to his disciples. They're to be ready. They're not to be afraid. They're to sell their possessions. They don't need no baggage. They're to be dressed for service and ready to open the door when the Lord returns. They're to never grow weary and never lose hope. The train is a-coming. Jesus will come to us. And those who are found ready will be richly blessed. Thanks be to God. Amen.